Saint Catherine of Siena once said, nothing great is ever achieved without much enduring. Welcome to the 19th episode of Saint Dymphna's Playbook, the SDP, if you want to be cool. My name is Tommy. I'm a cradle Catholic, a marriage and family therapist, a husband and father of five boys, four on earth, and one in heaven. Love you, Luke. And I'm here to fill the void of Catholic conversations about mental health because all of us feel like giving up when darkness seems to cover us. But Christ empowers us to endure. Community and companionship empowers us to endure. And greatness awaits. We like to kick it off around here with a quick refresh of our notifications. It's time for St. Dimpna's Mentions. First up, Anonymous drops by. After doing some quick poking around online, I found a name for something I wrestle with a lot, intrusive thoughts. Could you possibly talk about what they are, healthy ways to react, when to seek help, etc., especially because sometimes it's difficult to distinguish between what's just a thought and when something becomes a sin of the imagination. Thank you for tossing this one my way, Anonymous. This is a question about something that happens to every single one of us, and it's something we have to talk more about. So let's start with what intrusive thoughts are. I think the Anxiety and Depression Association of America really knocks the definition out of the park. Intrusive thoughts seem to come from out of nowhere, arrive with a whoosh, and cause a great deal of anxiety. The content of unwanted intrusive thoughts often focuses on sexual or violent or socially unacceptable images. People who experience unwanted intrusive thoughts are afraid that they might commit the acts they picture in their mind. They also fear that the thoughts mean something terrible about them. Some unwanted intrusive thoughts consist of repetitive doubts about relationships, decisions about small and large things, sexual orientation or identity, intrusions of thoughts about safety, religion, death, or worry about questions that cannot be answered with certainty. Some are just weird thoughts that make no apparent sense. Unwanted intrusive thoughts can be very explicit and many people are ashamed and worry about them and therefore keep them secret. All of us have experienced these thoughts, the ones that pop into our minds and terrify us because they're hideous, sinful, and here I mean they're often about things that are sinful, not that the thoughts are sinful themselves. They can be disgusting or violent, and we feel ashamed, guilty, and even though we respond quickly with something like, what the heck? Get out of here! We start to wonder if those thoughts might say something about who we are at our core. Would I really kill that person? Am I seriously capable of being an adulterer? Would I actually kill myself? These are the kind of things that pop into our heads and it helps for us to get them out in the open because it's only by discussing them and normalizing them, meaning sharing that we all experience them and fighting the self-stigma we experience because of them, that we will realize they don't define who we are. They aren't some secret real version of us that we're trying to stuff down and hide. They're simply a result of being human. And even though they're terrible, there's not a whole lot we can do to stop them. Back to the ADAA to help answer your question about healthy ways to respond. Here are some steps for changing your attitude and overcoming the anxiety and shame associated with our unwanted intrusive thoughts. Label them as intrusive. Remind yourself that these thoughts are automatic and not up to you. Accept and allow the thoughts into your mind. Do not try to push them away. Float and practice allowing time to pass. Remember that less is more. Pause. Give yourself time. There's no urgency. Expect the thoughts to come back again. Continue whatever you were doing prior to the thought while allowing the anxiety to be present. What you don't want to do is engage with the thoughts in any way. Push the thoughts out of your mind. Try to figure out what the thoughts mean and check to see if this is working to get rid of the thoughts. 
Lastly, when is it time to seek help? Well, of course, if you're thinking you maybe need to seek help, like therapy, for example, you should go for it. There's no like, you know, once you start, you got to keep going forever. So try it out. The basic guideline we go by is this, though. If your symptoms, in this case, anxiety predominantly, are making it difficult to function, again, in this case, taking up so much of your mental energy that you have little time for anything else and you start to suffer or slip in your responsibilities, it's definitely a good time to start the process of getting help. Next, we have a different anonymous dropping by. I'm a youth minister, and your episode with the topic gender dysphoria had me thinking. I haven't experienced this yet, but I'm wondering what to do in my position if someone is transgender. I can't even think of a specific scenario because this is the one thing in youth ministry that I have no experience with and don't feel very confident about. Thanks for the great follow-up question, friend. I can understand lacking confidence about a situation that hasn't popped up yet, but I really applaud your desire to be prepared to show the love of Christ to anyone you might meet in the context of being a youth minister. I think it's important to let the call from Christ to love everyone guide you. I find it important to remember there's a time for arguments and discussion about church teaching and a time to lead with love and compassion and welcoming. And with this topic especially, I think we'll never get a chance to get to the church teaching conversation unless we lead with love. We have to realize LGBT Catholics who are engaged in their faith know church teaching and hear about it from priests, fellow Catholics, Catholic media, etc. all the time. They know it. They get it. And those who are still interested in engaging in the faith are trying to navigate, accepting and believing church teaching, while at the same time having to deal with a real feeling that the love and relationship they desire in their hearts also seems right. If we can put ourselves in their shoes for a hot minute, we might begin to realize just how much of a cross this is for them to bear, and we, can let, we can't let them bear it alone. This is why I say we have to lead with love, compassion, welcoming, and being willing to walk with them as sisters and brothers. This, this response and message is the one that they aren't getting from those typical outlets that I mentioned before. This is the kind of response that has the power to bring Christ to another, the power to change everything. If we can bring that presence to them, if we can be him to them and see him in them, their lives will be changed. And that's exactly what he's calling us to do. So each episode, I'm going to introduce you to a saint who can help us along our journey with mental health and wellness as Catholics. It's called Friend Requests, and today I'm here to introduce you to Blessed Solanus Casey. Born in 1870 in Oak Grove, Wisconsin, Solanus Casey worked as a logger, a hospital orderly, a streetcar operator, and a prison guard, all before realizing God was calling him to something radically different. While working at his last job, he witnessed a drunken sailor stab a woman to death, and he took this experience as an opportunity to reevaluate his life, which led to him hearing the call of God to the priesthood. He enrolled in high school seminary due to not having a whole bunch of formal education before this, but the classes were all in German or Latin, two languages he didn't know, and he was steered away from becoming a diocesan priest and toward entering religious life instead. He went home and prayed before a statue of the Virgin Mary and heard her voice telling him, go to Detroit and join the Order of the Friars Minor Capuchin. He did, and he made his vows in 1898. Due to his lack of education, he was ordained a simplex priest, meaning he could say mass but not preach or hear confession. Instead of making Solanus feel worthless, a companion noted this restriction brought forth in him a greatness and a holiness that might never have been realized in any other way. Truly amazing. 
Solanus helped his order to start a soup kitchen during the Depression, which is still up and running and is well known for his holiness, miracles, humility, to the point where 20,000 people passed by his coffin before his burial. And he's close to my family because he suffered from incredibly bad eczema at the end of his life and therefore became the patron for those suffering from skin conditions. Those who know me know that our fifth son was born with ichthyosis and Solanus became a powerful intercessor for our family. Today, despite all odds, my son is doing great and his skin looks absolutely normal. As Solanus Casey famously said, thank God ahead of time. And what a great way to live life, right? Also, can I just suggest you Google Solanus Casey and ice cream cones for an epic story? It's, it's really worth it. We like to close this part of the podcast out with a prayer. And here's the prayer for the canonization of Solanus Casey. Oh God, I adore you. I give myself to you. May I be the person you want me to be, and may your will be done in my life today. I thank you for the gifts you gave Father Solanus. If it is your will, bless us with the canonization of Father Solanus so that others may imitate and carry on his love for all the poor and suffering of the world. As he joyfully accepted your divine plans, I ask you according to your will to hear my prayer for all the listeners of this podcast episode that they may experience the peace of Christ in a radical way this very day through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Blessed be God in all his designs. And now, you can't do therapy over Twitter, but I'm happy to take your tweets and help you explore a bit in the hopes of finding a light in the darkness. It's time for Twitter Therapy. Jay Monica kicks us off. Could you talk about strategies for enforcing boundaries we set? I find it hard, especially with aggressive people. Another great question. Thanks for sending it in. We haven't been praying very much this time around, so let's kick it up a notch and pray for Jay Monica and all of us who set boundaries but then find it hard to enforce those boundaries. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Boundaries, we've got to set them for our own health and well-being and in all honesty for the health and well-being of those we're trying to have good boundaries with. Setting boundaries can be hard enough. Just thinking about having a conversation with someone to let them know that I'm going to have to set some boundaries makes me feel all queasy in my stomach. But what the heck do you do when you finally get the nerve to set them, but the person just ignores them, tramples all over them, and keeps on busting through them like the conversation never happened, especially if they start to get angry or aggressive? Here's a piece of advice from Christian psychologists Dr. Henry Cloud and Dr. John Townsend in their book aptly titled Boundaries. The first thing you need to learn is that the person who is angry at you for setting boundaries is the one with the problem. Uh, maintaining your boundaries is good for other people. It will help them learn what their families of origin did not teach them to respect other people. Do not let anger be a cue for you to do something. People without boundaries respond automatically to the anger of others. They rescue, seek approval, or get angry themselves. There is great power in inactivity. Do not let an out-of-control person be the cue for you to change your course. Just allow them to be angry and decide for yourself what you need to do. That line, there is great power in inactivity, really resonates with me, and I hope it resonates with you too. A person reacting to our boundaries with anger or aggression is trying to get us to react, trying to get us to respond, and we typically respond by giving in to help maintain the peace and avoid conflict, but perhaps inactivity is the best way to deal with this aggression, not responding, so that we maintain the power in the interaction rather than allowing their behavior to draw us into a quick response without us putting thought into what we need to do for ourselves. 
themselves. Of course, I should point out that this all depends on the way that boundaries are being violated. If boundaries are being violated in a way that leads to you or your family feeling unsafe, a more serious response obviously needs to be taken. I'll be praying for you and hoping that the boundaries you can set be respected. Kevin is here next. I have a question about self-confidence. What should a Catholic do to become more self-confident, less of a perfectionist, and more at ease? I imagine what it must be like to observe me in the day-to-day, and I must say it's embarrassing. I don't know where to start. Well, whenever I'm feeling low on confidence, I just sing along with Julie Andrews. I have confidence in sunshine. I have confidence in rain. I have confidence that spring will come again. Besides what you see, I have confidence in me. Okay, not really. But dang, I love the sound of music, and I didn't want to miss an opportunity. More confidence, less of a perfectionist. I think we're all striving for these, Kev. And if everyone is kind of like me, we're also failing at these pretty much every day. So that's probably not helpful, but, you know, know that you're not alone. I shudder at the idea of uh, the observation of me in my day-to-day. You know, my guardian angel can probably barely look on at this point. The insight that helped me with this is something I continue to be need to be redirected to focusing on, uh, and it came to me through our Communion and Liberation School of Community, and it's this from Servant of God, Father Jasani. None of us, by our own efforts, can keep ourselves in the right position, even though... Uh, The encounter with Christ opened us up to it. The only response to our fragility is the real presence of his presence. So I guess what I'm trying to say is our confidence needs to be in Christ and his presence. And our only job is keeping ourselves in the right position, keeping ourselves focused on the recognition of his presence in all things. We can have confidence in him, in his presence happening in our lives right now. I realize that in our culture, self-confidence is important. And I myself lack confidence and my ability, my inability to maintain the perfection I think I need to maintain really brings me low in terms of shame and self-loathing. But this idea that Christ Christ does it. Christ is everything. He's the one upholding me. And all I have to do is grab him by the hand, recognize his presence, and sort of allow him to happen in my life every day brings me peace. And it's something I work to remind myself of day in and day out. I hope that gives something uh, something for everyone to consider and pray about. Laura wraps us up. I've been having suicidal thoughts since my teens, but as I'm a Christian, I know committing suicide was I knew committing suicide was wrong. I was certain I was never going to try to commit suicide. Instead, I prayed for God to kill me. After 10 years of silence, I talked about it to my sister months ago and she encouraged me to seek help, uh, which is still a work in process. And Um, She also pointed out that asking God to kill me wasn't a healthy coping mechanism. So I was hoping you could address sometime how suicide can affect our prayer and, well, your thoughts overall on the subject. Laura, I feel so absolutely blessed that you reached out with this important question, and I'm just so glad that you've become a part of all of our lives through this podcast. Let's all stop what we're doing and pray for Laura and all of us who've been in a place where we begged God to take our lives and end our pain that his light and peace may break into our hearts and that he may give us even the tiniest glimpse of his love for us and his plan for our lives. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
Amen. First off, I want to say to anyone who needs to hear it, if you're feeling suicidal, if you're getting to the point where you're thinking about plans and have the intent and means to make that plan happen, please reach out for help. Please text HOME, H-O-M-E, to 741-741 right now. Again, you text HOME to 741-741, and you'll be in contact via text with a trained counselor to be able to help you and talk to you and give you some options. I personally know how it feels to be hopeless beyond words. I know how it feels to want to die and to suffer so much that you feel like you can't go on another day. And I also know that there's hope, there's help, and there is joy again. So please reach out for help, hope, and healing. I'm so grateful that your sister recommended you reach out for help and even more grateful that you're in, in the process of getting connected. Sitting and talking to somebody about these thoughts and the emotions that accompanying them can be so powerful and healing and I hope you find that to be true. Sure, asking God to kill us probably isn't a healthy coping mechanism, but since I've been in that exact place, it's hard for me to look down on it. And so I'll try to reframe it like any good therapist would and see if there's actually a healthy component or silver lining to it all. So here goes. When I was walking through the darkest time in my life, I couldn't pray. I couldn't sing along with the Gloria at Mass. I couldn't really even believe that God loved me or cared about me at all. Doing any of these things just made me feel like a fraud at one point. I definitely remember talking to God, screaming at him for what he was allowing to happen, for not coming to my aid, for letting my child die in my specific situation. And I prayed, even though at the time I wouldn't have thought to call it that, I prayed for him to take my life, certainly to take my life and let my child live, but also just to take my life because I didn't feel like I could suffer that pain anymore. So what I want to say is this may not be a healthy coping mechanism, but it's definitely a sign that we can all go forward and recognize that if it happens again in the future, it's probably time to reach out for help. And at the same time, I see it as a particularly powerful prayer. I mean, have you read the Psalms or Jonah? This is a theme that seems to be returned to again and again. And that helped me to realize that this prayer can actually be a sign of telling God, okay, I can't do it. I've had enough and I can't go on. And really putting our lives completely in his hands, telling him he can dispose of us as he pleases. And I think there's something powerful in there. It's mysterious it's deep and dark, and it's definitely worth exploring more. The last thing I'll say on this topic this time around is this. Please, please pray for the soul of someone you know who has died by suicide. God, from his vantage point outside of time, knew that you would offer up a prayer for that person here in this present moment. And the power of your prayer for this person, a prayer asking God to come to this person before their death, to offer them his grace, mercy, love, and compassion, is just so incredible. Please don't pass on this opportunity to pray for them. It's such a beautiful and worthwhile thing to do. Hang in there, Laura, and please know I'll be praying for you. All right, everyone, that's it for today's episode. You can email, DM, or tweet your questions and situations if you'd like me to address them in the future. I'd be happy to keep you anonymous or not, whatever you want. Until next time, go easy on yourselves. Take care of yourselves. And if you feel like you're in a place where you can't even bring yourselves to pray, don't worry. I'll be praying for you. And so will St. Dymphna. 